0: thank you for joining us today we'll be studying the book of first corinthians chapter five we'll be discussing what the bible says about our culture of tolerance and the process for discipline inside the church of believers so if you'll open your bibles up to first corinthians chapter five we'll begin our lesson father in heaven just thank you so much for this day and for this opportunity for us to all get together and for those who are listening in remotely also thank you for the guests that we have gathered with us today and just so delighted to have this group and the ability to have fellowship with other believers. Father, we also thank you for your word and the Bible and for the ability for us in this country to gather together in a way to study your word. I ask that you just open each of our hearts and minds this morning, teach us what we need to learn, and help us to apply it in our lives in a way that we can truly continue to grow in our relationship with you, grow closer to you, and reflect Jesus to others that we encounter in each of our lives throughout the week. We also pray for this coronavirus and those who are being impacted by it. Father, we know we don't need to get all fearful about it, but it is something that's out there. We know that you've got this, that you're in control. We just lift up the people to you who are being impacted by it. Bring them peace and healing and Use this in a way that draws them closer to you. And Father, as we begin our study this morning, I ask that you speak through me, speak through everyone gathered today so that we can all learn from each other and just help us feel the presence of the Holy Spirit right here gathered with us. And we pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. We'll just pick up where we left off. I'm hopeful we can have some really good discussion on this because there's a lot that is covered, even though it's a short chapter. There's a lot that Paul is talking about that we can see directly in our culture today. So this is very applicable, particularly to any of you that may be Methodist. And I'll point that out here in just a little while. So chapter 5, verse 1. Paul begins, it is actually reported that there is immorality among you, and let me stop right there, this reporting. You'll remember I referred to this when we began our study in chapter one. If you flip over to the left, 1 Corinthians 1 11, you'll see what he's talking about. Chapter one, verse 11, he says, for I have been informed concerning you, my brethren, by Chloe's people that there are quarrels among you. Chloe is a Christian who was well known to Paul. She was a believer in Corinth and she was very concerned about the divisions that were beginning to happen in the church. So this was not gossiping. She was reaching out to Paul actually and asking for his help because she saw these divisions that were beginning to happen within the church in Corinth that Paul had started. And he's now responding. Remember also we discussed that While this is called 1 Corinthians in our Bible here, this is actually not the first letter of Paul. This is actually the second letter, and the first letter was lost, and so he's responding also to some questions that were raised after his first letter. So he's saying, it's been reported that there's immorality among you, an immorality of such a kind as does not exist even among the Gentiles, that someone has his father's wife, since he mentions his father's wife, it's probably that this is not this individual's mother. It's more likely that it's probably his stepmother, but still sexual immorality in any event. And Paul is shocked by this because this is a terrible sin. In fact, let me show you, keep your finger here in 1 Corinthians. And if you go over to Leviticus 20, I'm taking you back to the Old Testament, third book of the Old Testament. Le- Leviticus 20:11 and it says if there is a man who lies with his father's wife he has uncovered his father's nakedness both of them shall surely be put to death their blood guiltiness is upon them. So it was a very serious sin. We're going to see what Paul has to say about this. Verse 2. I'm back in 1 Corinthians. And you have become arrogant and have not mourned instead in order that the one who had done this deed might be removed from your midst. So Paul is shocked by their arrogance that They're so proud of their tolerance there in the church of Corinth. Does this at all sound familiar? Tolerant of everything, tolerant of adultery, tolerant of people living with one another and outside of marriage, people having sex outside of marriage, just very tolerant of that, even homosexual activity, very tolerant of that. Does that sound like our current culture? instead of being grieved by it and really mourning the person who was doing this and feeling sorry and feeling grief for their sin, they're actually proud because they're so tolerant. They're tolerant of this sexual immorality. And they think, wow, see, we're really a loving group because we're so tolerant of all of this. And Paul is shocked by this. And it may sound harsh to us, particularly in the the culture that we find ourselves in today, But what Paul is saying is actually what he's going to take us through is very aligned with Jesus' teachings. Let me just show you that, and then we'll read on what Paul is going to talk about. Flip over to the left. Go over to Matthew, the first gospel, first book in the New Testament, Matthew 18. Let's start at verse 15. And if your brother sins, go and reprove him in private. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. But if he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you, so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every fact may be confirmed. And if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax gatherer. So remember, referring to Gentiles and tax gatherers to a Jewish person, they were the low of the low. And so what he's saying here is this is what is referred to as church discipline. This is the process of actually going through and helping a brother who may be living in a sinful way and not even recognizing it as a sin any longer. And this offense is something that you need to help your brother in love, help them see that their lifestyle is a sinful lifestyle and that they need to repent from it. They need to turn away from that and they need to ask the Holy Spirit to help them in moving away from that type of lifestyle. Now, this is what's described here is really how to deal with it when it's a private issue. If it's a public offense, then the rebuke may actually need to be public. And let me just show you real quick an example of that. If you'll go way over to the right to First Timothy, and if you want, I'll just read it. I can get over there quickly for us. 1 Timothy five twenty. Those who continue in sin rebuke in the presence of all. So this would be more of a public rebuke. Rebuke in the presence of all so that the rest also may be fearful of sinning. So if it's an instance that there's a public offense, it may be a good idea to actually do a public rebuke. So let's go back over to 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 5, and pick back up. This is background, I guess I'll I'll call it, for our reading today and what Paul is going to be talking about in 1 Corinthians 5. So I continue on in 1 Corinthians 5, verse 3. For I, on my part, though absent in body, but present in spirit, have already judged him who has so committed this as though I were present. So he's saying that the Corinthians, they didn't want to confront this person who was living this lifestyle because Paul wasn't there, and they actually didn't think Paul would would be coming back. Verse 4, In the name of our Lord Jesus, when you are assembled, and I with you in spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus, I have decided to deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. So he's going to go on and talk about this process of church discipline. So let me read on, then we'll come back and talk about it. Verse 6, your boasting is not good. In other words, you being proud about being so tolerant of everybody, that's not good. He continues on. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough? Clean out the old leaven that you may be a new lump just as you are, in fact, unleavened. For Christ our Passover also has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the feast not with old leaven. Nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. First of all, what is he talking about, unleavened bread and leaven? You'll recall before the Israelites left Egypt, where they were being led out by Moses, remember they were in slavery... They were told not to put leaven in their bread. In fact, just a small amount of leaven will make the entire loaf rise. And so what that signified was they were to leave evil behind. And so from then on, this unleavened bread was used in the Passover feast. The Passover feast, I know you'll remember this, but just to show you where it comes from. Go way back over into the Old Testament, second book, Exodus chapter 12. It's a little background on the Exodus. Let me start in verse 21. Exodus 12, 21. Then Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and take for yourselves lambs according to your families and slay the Passover lamb. And you shall take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood which is in the basin and apply some of the blood that is in the basin to the lintel and on the two-door post. And none of you shall go outside the door of his house until morning. For the Lord will pass through to smite the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two-door post, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to come into your houses to smite you. And you shall observe this event as an ordinance for you and your children forever. And it shall come about when you enter the land which the Lord will give you, as he has promised, that you shall observe this rite. And it will come about when your children will say to you, what does this rite mean to you, that you shall say, it is a Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the sons of Israel in Egypt when he smote the Egyptians but spared our homes. And the people bowed low and worshipped. So that's where this Passover feast, that's what it commemorates, their escape from Egypt. And this unleavened bread, that's where that first began in the Old Testament. The goal of this process is to bring this sinner to repentance from their sinful nature. And what you're trying to do is first approach them and talk to them about it. Don't go gossip to others. First, Talk to your brother about the sinful lifestyle that they're living. If the brother or sister doesn't want to talk to you about it or doesn't acknowledge it as sin, then you should bring a couple others with you. And if that doesn't help them see their sinful way, then you should bring it to the church. And this is what Paul is talking about. It's basically excommunication from the church. And now that's really serious to get to that step. But he's saying that they've got to deal with the immorality and sin. Eventually what happens is you just become tolerant to all of it. And that tolerance can lead to it infecting the entire group with this sin. Because your tolerance becomes where you could even possibly be drawn into it. And he's saying you need to remove that from the church. You're a Christian. You need to live like a Christian. You need to act like you're a Christian and that you are righteous, And so you can't be having that around you all the time where it can begin to infect you if you don't acknowledge it as sin and see it as sin. Let me continue on, and I'm hopeful we'll have a lot of discussion on this today because there's a lot here. But this is talking directly to us today about the culture that we're in. Verse 9, I wrote you in my letter not to associate with any immoral people. And what he's talking about, we're going to see, he's talking about people who persistently practice serious sin. Okay, that's what he's talking about. They live a lifestyle and they don't even see it as a sin and they certainly don't repent from it. And by the way, just a little sidebar, you see I wrote you in my letter. You remember, that's his reference to his first letter that I told you about when we were studying chapter 1. That's the reference to the first letter that is now lost. Verse 10, I did not at all mean with the immoral people of this world, meaning the unbelievers, the unrepentant unbelievers. That's not who he's talking about, or with the covetous and swindlers or with idolaters, for then you would have to go out of this world. So he's saying... Look, I'm not talking about brothers and sisters in Christ who from time to time sin because we all sin from time to time. There's verses in the Bible that says if you say you don't have sin, well, you're lying and you're making God a liar. But he's also saying we still are to minister to people. He continues on in verse 11, but actually I wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother. So this is an unrepentant brother, someone who professes to be a Christian is who he's talking about. And continue on, if he should be an immoral person or covetous or an idolater or reviler or drunkard or swindler, not to even eat with one. So he's saying, if you keep company with bad company, you're liable to get corrupted yourselves by that. So he's talking about not people who sin from time to time, because that would that's all of us. I mean, that is that is me, that's you, that's all of us. We all fall into sin from time to time. But what should happen when we sin is we should immediately then feel some guilt. Uh, I know when I do, every time I slip up, it's like, ah, I can't believe I did that again. I'm so sorry. I ask for forgiveness. I ask the Holy Spirit to help me not do it again in the future. We see the sin as sin and we feel remorse about it And we repent from it. We say, I don't want to live like that. Please keep me from doing that again. I'd recognize it as a sin. That's not who Paul is talking about. He is talking about when he was saying don't associate with these people. He's talking about people who just live a lifestyle like that and don't even see it as sin. Those are the people now we need to minister to them. But if they actually are someone who is in the church, a Christian, somebody who professes to be a Christian... Well, that's where he's talking about we need to go through this process of church discipline. And it is a, it's straightforward. It's something that Jesus has outlined to us, the way to go about this church discipline. What's interesting to me is many churches do not follow this church discipline process. They just don't do it. It's a process, though, that Jesus gave to us. It's under the authority of God, and it's very precise. It's a precise process. That's how you do it. It's how you discipline a brother. And it can actually lead to excommunication from the church in a really serious offense. But it is a process that we're called upon to do to help a Christian brother see their sin and help them repent from it so that they can restore the ability of the Holy Spirit to work in their life. While each of us as Christians have the Holy Spirit living inside of us, we've talked about that many times as soon as we become a christian we have the holy spirit living with us but when we're in a state of sin we limit the ability of the holy spirit to work in our life the way the holy spirit wants to work in our life and so we're called upon to help our brothers but then the people who are not believers he's saying don't disassociate with another we shouldn't be with them all the time or we might get drawn into it But we are certainly called to minister to them, to spend time with them so that they can see the light of Christ living within us. We're also called to do that. Let me finish up, and then we'll come back and discuss this. Verse 12, "...for what have I to do with judging outsiders? Do you not judge those who are within the church? But those who are outside, God judges. Remove the wicked man from among yourselves." So he's saying that we're not to judge those who are outside the church, the unbelievers out there. It's not for us to judge. That's for God to do. God's going to judge everyone. But we should judge those who are inside the church to try to help them. We probably shouldn't use the word judge as much as discern that they are struggling with a sin and we should pray for them, and then we should talk to them to try to help them get to a place of repentance through this discipline process. So many churches avoid it because it is hard to do. It's really hard to do. And by the way, excommunication from the church, that should only be used in the very worst of circumstances. But this is a process that is laid out very clearly here in the Bible that we're to follow, and we're to try to help believers get to a place of repentance. And that's not, by the way, I know I've said this, it's not just when they occasionally sin. It's someone who is doing this almost as a lifestyle, repeatedly, repeatedly, and you sense that they don't even view what they're doing as a sin. That's where you need to try to help them. So discussion, questions, comments.
1: One that comes to mind, and I don't mean to put, I'm just curious, George, how have y'all, you've been a pastor of the church for a long time. What's your take on all this? And have you had to deal with this in your church before, if you don't mind? I don't mean to put you on the spot. You mean this particular sin or? or Just the whole process of of church discipline. discipline. Yes. You know, Larry made a comment earlier that most churches probably don't do it. I don't know very many churches at all who would even consider it because our members are so precious to us. We, we need them, we think, and we don't want to lose one of them uh, for various reasons, which I'm sure you can probably think of one or two. And it does happen. I've seen it at least three or four times since I've been here in Austin in our church. And sometimes it's received well, and you hope that it goes well, and I think that's Paul's intent here. And sometimes they do what you fear. They leave. And sometimes they take a bunch of people with them,
2: exactly. Yeah, at least went through this, but uh, sure. a guy left his wife to marry another woman, and the, everybody knew it. And, uh, yeah, he put it on Facebook, you know, okay. say, hey, I'm getting married, and then I was like, oh, gosh. You know, it was just like, I saw that on Facebook, and I'm like, oh, man, now I have to go and address this, I don't want to address this, because once I address this, it's, you got to go through with it, right? Yeah, you got to go. Through. And now you're going to go stop somebody's wedding, and you're going to go, you know, so, anyway, so we've we did, and we approached him. You the big Yeah, it was brutal. <laughs> and, uh, and you know, he goes, "Well, I think that's you know, God's released me." And I'm like, "Well, His Word hasn't." It's super hard, especially in Austin, and nobody reads their Bible. Nobody knows the stuff, and so um, you know, walking through them and having to educate our church body on it was hard. And a lot of people go, "That's why I don't like church. All you do is you're just so judgmental." It's like, "Oh, exactly. we wanted it. Yeah, you know. We were thinking, we were looking for some people to, like, just cause division, make the church smaller, and make everyone hate me. You know, and so, uh, you, you, but that's part of it, right? You, know, you, you don't sign up to be a pastor because it's going to be fun and happy, skippy. You sign up because you're called, and the right. Lord has asked you to do it. You
1: made a statement uh, there that uh, they said that the Lord released them. Yeah. You know, and I've, and I've heard those very words the lord release me like they've got a special deal with Jesus. yeah they got a special deal with the lord and so you know somebody's got to be behind that because yeah, they're saying your church is saying in mine and, and probably a lot of other places as well and
2: i'm sure that's what happened here you know everybody just ignored it or even like look how graceful we are yeah you know, and i'm just like it that's a point where you're not being graceful because someone's persisting and, and if you like you know, wounds from a friend can be trusted but the enemy multiplies kisses and so in a moment it's like what feels nice is we're all just going to get along and be really happy campers. And, oh, do what you need to do. You do you. Yeah. And the problem with that is you're um, you're letting evil take hold of their heart, and you're not loving them. Larry's word of, of tolerance to describe that particular verse, I think, was very good. Yeah. Because that's the word we would use
1: today. Mm-hmm. If you're going to be a good Christian, you're going to need to be tolerant. Right. Just from my standpoint, I've never seen this. I've never seen it brought up to me before. Yeah. What would you yeah. have to do... No, what I'm to have, sin would you have to commit that would cause your pastor to come to you and say, Brother, you can't go down this path. Right. I mean, imagine. What sin would you have to commit? Yep. I've seen it within we our church just around. Uh, having a vindictive heart using the legal system to go after people. But clearly it's an anger, and it's uh, and you have to sit down with yeah. someone in a situation and say, look, it's not the right path to be taken. And the anger was so consuming, all-consuming of this person. That yeah. They continued to go down that path, and, and they left the church, which is okay. But it was you know, done in, in love. It was done in uh, the purpose of trying to help the person understand about their sinful behavior. And the scripture clearly says, don't take your brother to court. Mm. And but they go, but, but my case
0: my situation well we're going to be talking about that next week we're going to be talking about lawsuits. I know we do have some that are Methodist, and it's just so sad to see what the Methodist church is going through right now, which may end up splitting the church into two churches all around the issue of homosexuality. And whether or not it is a sin anymore or not is basically what's causing the division. And it's just so sad to see, and I think this is what Paul is talking about, this tolerance of, well, we love everybody, and you know everybody's welcome, and everybody can come. And we should love everyone and invite everyone to church. That's absolutely what we ought to be doing. But when there's a sin there, and to not recognize it as sin, that's where your tolerance has gone too far. And what I am saying is we need to even address sinful people in a loving way I do want to make that very clear. While I'm talking about tolerance, that doesn't mean we should be rude and not do these things in love when we're addressing people who are struggling with sin or living a lifestyle that they haven't even recognized as a sin. That's where we need to try to help them in a loving way. Our tolerance in our culture has gone so far the culture prides itself so much on tolerance; they view that as being a loving Christian. I just can't find any place in the Bible, and particularly what we're reading here today, where it says just tolerate everybody's sin and don't even recognize a lifestyle as being a sinful lifestyle. I think that's exactly what Paul is talking about here. Yeah, and I think you know, whenever the
2: Supreme Court made the decision to legalize same-sex like marriage, that for me wasn't a big deal because it, that's not the church. And so, it's a big deal in the sense that it's a shift in the culture's perspective, which now makes it even harder to be pastor. But it, it shouldn't affect church governance, because it's completely out. So there's a whole bunch of things that are, are legal in America that we would say, like, strip clubs. Like, they've been around for a long time, or getting drunk, or, you know, marijuana laws. and dr- There's a whole bunch of stuff about, you know, getting drunk, or having sex, or especially sex before marriage. I think maybe because we haven't been so direct about that stuff in the past, and we've put church discipline aside because people get upset and angry, and our fear of man has, has overcome us. That, of course, that's been a cultural shift for the whole thing. But it shouldn't be a something that we fear. It's just a part of the reality we live in. It makes it, a diff, the distinctness between a Christian and a non-Christian more clear. We are Methodists ourselves, and we've been in our own church has been dealing
1: with this possibility of a split. Our former pastor is one of the delegates to this. Coming up, so it's it's true. You know, man, I don't understand what the difference would be in the two two different organizations. Uh, is one tolerant of some of these things? One half of church is going to be tolerant, the other half is not going to be tolerant. It's
2: like a Presbyterian church. You got DCA, Presbyterian Church of America. There's a the conservative wing, the PCUSA. There's a, the, for lack of term, liberal wing. And so PCUSA, you know, they're gay marriage, gay gay priests, mm-hmm. gay. The whole thing completely, and then PCA is very on the, the conservative side of that. So I think you'll see it just a split. It's painful to watch that, and my heart breaks for for them, but reality is it's a different church. Well, we're going to have
1: members have to decide, every member's got to decide which side they're on. There doesn't seem to be any common ground that you can stay and be a regular Methodist. I hate we're going to be put on the spot of which side we are on.
0: It's really sad. It's really sad. That's what Satan does. He divides. Mm -hmm. Spirit brings us together. Something
1: is fundamentally wrong, right? right? And 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 it's it's not about Methodism, right? It's it's about about the Lord and knowing Him as your personal Savior and following Him completely in your life. I mean, that that's that's where the problems are, Mm -hmm. and it's and it is very sad. But this is what Satan does. Satan. Divides us at every turn, at every whether it's racially, monetarily, any way he can chop the church up. That's that's
2: what he does. Amen. And, and he will do it. He's doing it. He, he's wow. doing it. He's without no without the Holy Spirit, there's no, no there's, power. there's no power. there's no conviction right. of like what is sin then? Nothing. You know, there's no you can just make it up whatever you want like. about like suing one another well that was back in the days of corinth and you know so i mean christians can sue people now or whatever the issue is you, you just you you leave biblical authority and you come onto like you you read the bible through the lens of culture as opposed to
0: read culture through the lens of the bible yeah and that's a really slippery slope once you start interpreting the bible through the lens of the culture and viewing that the bible can change as the culture changes you can make the bible say anything you want it to
2: yeah you can say whatever you and, you know, Muhammad's good too or, you know, whatever, just be a good person. And I think that's what it says. says People that are not Christian, hang out with them, spend time with them, love them. There's no no, um, rule. In fact, you should go and spend time with them. You need to spend time with them. You need to love them. And you don't even need to talk about their sexuality or politics or anything. You just love them. But when someone has been transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit, now they have the ability to overcome sin that's when you'd say to somebody, hey, I I know that the rest of the world goes down this path, but what God calls us from his word is to live a life of purity. And that's hard, because that is so anti-cultural, and people get offended by that because the gospel offends every culture in some way. And that's what makes it godly, really. Because there's no culture going like, we've got it right. Uh, The reality is that we've all broken the desire of our heart is wickedness, and so to, when we love people, it, that's why I say we love someone when you confront them, not in a you're you you know that not the, the angry angry angry. It's the please don't do this. You please don't you know it's, it's a weeping. That's why I say what shouldn't you be mourning? Shouldn't you be crying? It's like please stop this. You are that's the personal influence that you're talking about. So you go to them one on one. You go to them you know intervention needs to happen and when they persist in sin then you say listen we can't confirm that you are a christian and so we need to remove you from the body of believers so that these the, the, the other people go oh i guess if he can do it we can too and so i think that's why it becomes such a rift is because you're having to remove someone because what they're doing is they're they're saying listen don't listen to god's word listen to me and that's ultimately what, what Satan did and he said, I understand God told you something, Eve, but don't trust him. Here's the real truth. Go and eat any tree that you want. He went, that won't kill you. And so that's what Satan does. He, he makes you doubt God's word because that's so old, and so four thousand, six thousand years ago. This is today. That's what's so hard about it.
0: Yeah, it is. And it's it's not that we're talking about the sins that each of us commit. That as soon as we commit them, we go, oh, gosh, I can't believe I did that again. I mean, why do I keep doing that? I think what he's talking about here is a person who is living a lifestyle in sin, and they don't even recognize it as being sinful. They don't even feel the guilt where they can get to repentance. You see what I'm saying? I don't think this is talking about somebody who stumps their toe every now and then and immediately seeks repentance and forgiveness. I think it's somebody who is living a lifestyle in a way that they say, Yeah, the Bible doesn't prohibit this. I don't read it that way. It's fine for me to live like this. The Bible talks about those who've had their consciences
1: seared with a hot iron and and, and they don't feel the, the conviction. They don't feel the pain of sin anymore. They just they just do it and it feels good too. And again, this kind of comes within what is, the, what
0: is the church? I mean, is it the direct church that you're a member of, or is it the overall
1: church, that, the church of Jesus? That's what it always is. It's always the... It, it always is. When we know Jesus, it gives us the power to overcome. When you see people that have succumbed to sin, you have to treat them like unbelievers. So how do you treat unbelievers? You love them. You share the gospel with them. You know, that's what Paul says here.
2: I don't care what church they join. To me, this does what become why church membership is important. Because, uh, like, I'm a pastor, but I'm not everybody's pastor, right? Nobody here is accountable for, me for a diddly squat, and I'm not accountable for you. So Hebrews thirteen seventeen says, "Like, obey your leaders, and they're going to have to give account for your soul." So, thankfully, I'm not have to give an account for everybody's soul because that'd be I'd be I'd be done. So, uh, and so I have very specific for the people that are at our church and they become a member, it's like, listen, I'm now accountable to God for you and all the things you're doing. So if you don't know something that the student hasn't learned, the teacher hasn't taught, and so therefore that's on me, and so I've got to be diligent to, to train you. So if there's a person that goes to the Methodist church, not that I don't worry about them, but I'm not responsible for them as a, a pastor, and then as, I don't know their specific salvation story, and I don't even, even want to, that's not my world. If they're at my church, that, that is my world. Now, as a Christian, overall, I'm not going to be like, back down from people and be like, oh, no, it's okay for you, just not at our church, right? I, I, <laughs> uh, but, I, but I do think there is a, the line for me would be, their family, you want to, I would treat them as someone who needs the gospel and you would love them. I would say, I, whenever something came up, I would be like, ah, oh, do, do, you do you. I would be like, ah, that's wrong. And I think that you'd, you'd have to be able to be winsome and craft that in a way. Like, you know, it, it's, not like saying I like the Cowboys and you like the Texans. It's, it's a lot more deep than that. But you've gotta, we've got to be able, as Christians, to be able to articulate what we believe and do it in a loving way. But it, that is going to be offensive. And we offend people all the time about other stuff. For some reason, it doesn't
0: matter. Well, great discussion. I knew that even though this is a short chapter, only 13 verses, it would lead to some really great discussion. I hope that we're all taking <laughs> something away from this and that we can then apply in our own lives. Thank you for joining us today. I'd love to hear from you. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach out to me at LarryO'Donnell.com. I hope you'll join us next time as we continue our study.